Okay, and welcome to episode 35 of Herpological Highlights. I'm Ben Marshall, and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. And we have an episode that has been sort of a long time coming. Uh, and it's all about Sicilians. Not people from Sicily, but the animal. <laughs> the small, slimy animal, the Sicilian. Sicilian special. Sicilian special. It does sound like a pizza. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um... I've been looking forward to this one for ages, and uh, actually, in the course of my reading, I didn't really know much about Sicilians, but they are insanely cool. They are. We've done them a, dis- a disservice leaving them this long. Yeah, well, because we, we had it on our radar to do a Sicilian episode for ages, um, but then, I don't know, we had a few papers written down, but then um, Mark Schertz was kind enough to send us a couple of papers, which were on the same species, and both recent, um, and so after that, oh yeah, and then... A new species is just recently described. Um, so yeah, it all kind of just fell into place. And here we just are. Just felt like the right time. Yeah, so thanks, Mark, for suggesting the papers. Did our job for us, made it easy. And um, yeah, they're both really cool. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what is a Sicilian? We should probably start what with. What is a Sicilian? Yeah. Um, it's it's like a slimy ground worm, but isn't really a worm. No, it's like a an amphibian lungfish. <laughs> an amphibian lungfish yeah yeah they're... kind of a little bit i guess <laughs> <laughs> so in all seriousness sicilians they're like they're legless amphibians uh they're all in the order gymnophiona and they're found in southeast asia central and south america and africa um most of them are terrestrial but some are aquatic um the ones which are terrestrial are fossorial as far as we know um and they're just really weird creatures they are kind of mostly quite dark colored um they've got tiny tiny small eyes which are you know their their vision is massively reduced they can pretty much only see light and dark um and like you said they kind of look like worms or like slippery really wet snakes like a, kind of like an eel um but yeah they're like an eel they're actually but they've got sort of, yeah it you know they're not all um ah uh, not segmented. Segmented's not the proper word. Well... But um, well, they're not entirely smooth, right? Yeah, no, they're not. Well, some are and some aren't, I think. Um, oh. Because some have annuli, which are those rings around the body, which kind of puts them into segments and makes them look yes, like a worm. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, but others don't have that. Others are sort of more fluid. From what I've seen, ones which are aquatic are more streamlined. I don't know if that's a hard and fast general rule. Um, but yeah, they've got... Some crazy adaptations. They've got chemosensory organs on their face, which poke out. So they've got these little holes between their eyes and their nostrils. Um, And these tiny little, they look like sort of um, ferns come out and just flap around and then go back in. And um, yeah, that's how they, that's how they work out what's going on. It's crazy. I actually, I I had no idea they had, I had no idea they had these. Um, And I actually, I've seen, I've seen a wild Sicilian. Um, yeah, and that was when I realised they did this because I was watching it go around, and um, yeah, it was just all of a sudden this little tiny red thing poked out of its face, and I was like, "What on earth was that?" <laughs> and um, yeah, as it turns out, they have these weird sensory organs, which, uh, from what I can tell, perform a similar function to the tongue of a snake in a way. A um, little bit of a smelly, smelly, pokey out thing, um, but yeah, I saw one in I saw one in Thailand, Ben. Mm. Yes, I can't honestly remember what species that would have been. It's uh, Ichthyophis kotaensis, the Kotao island, Sicilian, but also found on the mainland and elsewhere. Ah, nice. Yeah. They're cool. They've got. <laughs> a, it's the one. A great I, name. It's the one. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, at least they tried. Um, they probably maybe they thought it was an endemic when they described it. I don't know. Well, but, uh, who knows? Maybe it actually is an endemic when a little bit more work is done. Because that is another thing worth mentioning: is there is so little known about Sicilians. Yeah, I think something like sixty-six percent of Sicilians are data deficient in terms of conservation status by the IUCN. Yep, yep, yep. That's I read pretty that. worrying. It's crazy. They're a mystery, and it's because they live underground. And um, fossorial animals are difficult to study. Um, they're also quite slimy. You know, people don't like to touch them. Um, <laughs> I'm not studying that. It's slimy. Yeah. With a snake, oh. you feel a snake. It feels nice. Sicilian, slimy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, no. I, I actually, I saw some aquatic Sicilians. This, so I'm going to re- recount my two life experiences with Sicilians. And that's all there are. So the first one was that one in Thailand. I saw it under a bridge uh, at night. It had been raining heavily. So presumably its uh, burrow maybe had flooded it and decided to wiggle around on the surface. And it was crazy cool. It had like a bright yellow belly, black on top. Mm. Um, it's actually, I posted a photo of it on Twitter and Facebook when I said that we were going to do a Sicilian episode. So people may have seen that photo. Um but yeah, the other time when I was when I, I was at Chester Zoo, and um, there were some aquatic Sicilians. I don't know what species they were, um, but they were in this big aquarium, and there were loads of them, all different sizes. And two of them um, had their, well, they were kind of attached. And um, I naively said, "Oh, look, they're fighting." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my friend Alexia was just like, uh, "Tom, they're, they're mating. Like they, those are the vents." And I was like. Oh, so yeah, I was a bit naive about that, but um, yeah, they their vent is the at the end of their body, and they just like press them together, and that's how they mate. But it looked like they were trying to go in different directions. It was weird. Um, it was quite uncomfortable to behold. They're strange creatures, man. They're full of mystery. Yeah. Um, but I love them. I, they're, they're just they're fascinating. I, I mean, they're worth highlighting. Yeah, I think if there was one way to make frogs and salamanders better. It would be to make them more like snakes and remove all their legs. And that's what they've done. That's what they've done with Sicilians. So, <laughs> Give excellent. them tiny beady eyes. Yeah, tiny beady eyes. <laughs> almost like a snake's tongue, but two, one each side, poking out the face. I mean, what more could you want? Oh, it's downright bizarre. And like a face that kind of looks like a shark. Yeah, like a really cheeky, grumpy shark. A um, cheeky, grumpy shark. <laughs> with, an, with an overbite. <laughs> yeah, very, very odd. Yeah, I rate them very highly. Um, yeah, so the name Sicilian actually derives from the Latin word casus, which means blind. So that refers to the eyes. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of this episode, um, we're going to be focusing mainly on one species of Sicilian for the most part. Um, yes. You know, tangents aside. Um, and that is Siphonops annulatus, a.k.a. the ring Sicilian. So... Um, the ringed Sicilian. Yeah. And so this is a species which is found over much of tropical South America. Get them in Colombia, Ecuador, Peru. Um, on, as long as it's east of the Andes, they're not found west of the Andes. Um, they spread all the way across to the far east of Brazil, you know, north into Guyana and Suriname and south into northern Bolivia. And then a little bit further down on that on that east side. And um, it's thought it might be the most widespread terrestrial Sicilian species in the whole world. That sounds like a recipe for a species complex, if you ask me. But yeah, yeah okay. I know. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's my next point. There's, there have been suggestions that um, its taxonomy needs revision, um, which would not be a surprise given that that range is freakishly massive. Um, yeah, but who knows? Who knows? And um, yeah, it's kind of this bluish black or slaty grey colour. Um, yeah. It's quite a thick animal. Um, its body is much thicker than its head, but it's um, it's equally thick. All the way along. So it's kind of like... A perfect tube. Yeah, it's just a perfect cylinder. <laughs> it ends very abruptly. Uh, it starts very abruptly. And then it has these whitish rings around the body, which kind of, as we were talking about earlier, they kind of split into what look like segments. Um, and they fully encircle the body. And uh, yeah, this isn't a big... It's not a huge animal. It grows to about 45 centimetres long. So if you can just imagine a... A grey pipe that's about 45 centimetres long. With a shark's face. With an angry, grumpy shark face and no tail. Just like a... It just ends. <laughs> that's what it you're looking ends. at. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're... That's what we've got here. You know, I could finish off the Sicilian and make it look nice. Or I could just stop for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, creator. What will you do next? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're super strange, but... um. Uh, yeah, as we'll see, they're they're fascinating creatures. They really are. Oh, and they get stranger. Shall we, with that, dive into the first paper? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So our first paper is by Jared Myho Fontana, Jared Comfer, Delaby Wilkinson, and Antoniazzi. <laughs> that doesn't sound too right. <laughs> mm, maybe that's how I'm reading it how it sort of says but I, I apologise um, this was published 2018 in 
Acta Zoologica, Life History and Reproduction of the Neotropical Sicilian, Siphonops annulatus, with special emphasis on parental care. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, papers about Sicilians, and I mean, I'm speaking from the experience of the very few that I've read, uh, they always seem to begin by stating just how mysterious Sicilians are. Have you noticed that? Well, it's because they're incredibly mysterious. They are very mysterious. They are so mysterious. You have to dig if you want to get them. What other animal do you have to search for by digging? Uh, golden moles. Golden moles. <laughs> porcupines as well. I've seen people digging those up. But at least they... Yeah, s- but I've also seen porcupines on the land. So but then you've seen a Sicilian on the land. So. I have, yeah. Wow. There's just no constants in nature. Um... <laughs> But yeah, this paper. <laughs> <laughs> the point, the point is, these guys are harder to study than snakes, and snakes are hard to study. The te- just to track Sicilians down is a mission by itself. Let alone actually looking at them and creating a study that you can work something out yeah, via. Yeah, just finding the little guys is tricky enough. Yeah, this whole paper is really a testament to the difficulty that is there is in studying Sicilians. So. This yeah. paper represents 10 years of data collection on wild Sicilians from an experimental forest in Brazil. And um, it's kind of like a big, it's, it's like a plantation, but not. Essentially, they grow cacao trees in the shade of large native forest trees. So they leave the original like canopy of trees. They just clear the understory and then they plant cacao trees in there. Um, and this so is... What's, isn't there a special... Is that termed agroforestry? Is that uh, no? There is actually a specific term Isn't for. Uh, they have like a uh, a Portuguese word for it. Um, oh, okay. Well, I mean, agroforestry does sound like it would, you know, fit. Um, yeah, that might be too generic though for what we're talking about. I, they call I, it. They call it a cabruca system. Okay. I think. Let me just quickly. Well, then that's the name that should be used then if they. <laughs> If that's the specific term for it, then we'll go with that. Yeah, so they call it Cabruca cocoa bean production. Um, okay. Yeah, and that's kind of this like sustainable, um, or at least much more sustainable method. Um, and so, yeah, they grow cacao, cocoa tree, cocoa, cacao trees, um, under about 40 different species of native, native Atlantic forest trees. Um, and it's cool because... When you have this method where the original trees are left standing, you know, you maintain the kind of um, microclimate of the understory, but also the soil constituents are allowed to remain like broadly similar to what they would have been when it was a forest. And so what that means is that animals which are existing on the forest floor um, can still make their living because there's, yeah. lots, there's lots of leaf mulch, you know, there's really healthy natural soils. And um, yeah, it's just really nice. And obviously for a fossorial animal like the Sicilian, that translates into a bit of a paradise. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that was one of the uh, key things they mentioned for Sicilians in this sort of system is that you've got a decent layer of uh, leaves and sort of debris foliage to keep the soil from uh, being dried out, which I suppose would actually be a big risk in more traditional agricultural systems Mm. with more direct sunlight and things like that. You wouldn't have as good a situation for your little Sicilians. Sicilians love hummus. They love hummus, but then who doesn't? <laughs> uh, this study, just to put it in place, it's in the municipality of Ilhaus in the state of Bahia in Brazil, um, which is... It's in the east of Brazil. I've just looked it up on Google Maps. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so I said I mentioned this. This study took place over ten years. There was ten, ten expeditions totaling seven hundred and three hours searching for Sicilians, and mm. in seven hundred and three hours, they managed to find seventy-one adult Sicilians. So it takes just over ten hours of effort per slippery Sicilian that's uncovered, and that's usually digging or raking or turning over bits of rotten vegetation or logs. Yeah, that's not a sort of traditional just walk along and see a sort of species survey. That's a pretty intense, high energy, high effort survey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It certainly is. And um, so, I mean, one of the things they were looking to, they're basically just looking to find out a lot of stuff about the natural history of these animals. Um, and 
they did actually manage to find out quite a lot and they did this on a combination of um finding them in the wild and then also they took them into captivity put them in terrariums uh, big communal terrariums and they studied them there to try and elucidate exactly what was going on with their sort of natural history um especially in terms of their their breeding regimen and yeah. um, how that goes and so um i mean one of the things they found was that the females lay between five and 16 eggs and they actually stay with them in the nest before sorry just 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 yeah, a on. little bit of like keeping a sicilian in a um terrarium sort of situation did you see what they were fed i did they were fed minced meat chicken or fish beef hearts earthworms newborn mice and canned dog or cat food i know mate it's <laughs> when you look at these little worms you think oh yeah well, not worms i'm calling them worms it's not they're sicilians <laughs> when you look at these little sicilians you think oh yeah that's gonna it's gonna root around and maybe eat the old odd bug but Mostly like little bits of debris and maybe some leaves, because <laughs> in your mind you see and it's like, oh yeah, it's just very worm-like life. You can't. It, they look bizarre, and you don't think that they would eat a newborn mouse or Mate, something along those lines. Not at all. They look like chillers. They're, and yeah. And did you read the bit where they're like, um, they would put a large carcass into the terrarium? And the yes. Sicilians would sneak up from beneath it in the soil like some kind of hellish monster. And they'd attack it from beneath. It's like holes. You know, that well, film, holes. And then they'd, they'd grab on and they'd, they'd do like a crocodile Oh, I thought style. you were thinking about tremors. Oh, I am thinking but, about okay. tremors. Yeah, tremors. Not holes. Holes is the one with the poisonous the spotted bearded, lizards. The bearded dragons that are painted in different colours. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of tremors. Yeah, tremors. It's like tremors. Yeah, tremors. And the then, graboids. Yeah, they, they, they grab on to bits of flesh. And then they do like a crocodile death roll to tear yeah, them body off. body spin. Yeah, and it also says they often, they'll catch something on the surface and then they'll drag it back into their burrow and use the size of the burrow as a means of manipulating the food. I mean, they are voracious predators, although they don't look it, they really are. And if you look at yeah. their skull as well, the teeth. They are truly earth sharks. Yeah, they are, the earth sharks. That's what they should be called. If they were called earth sharks... No, you wouldn't like that because it's an animal named after another animal. <sighs> I know, yeah, you're right. But... Mm. <laughs> at least sharks evolved before Sicilians, it would be my guess. Did they? Uh, uh, I don't know, but I'm going to say more than likely. Maybe. More than likely. Maybe not, though, because Sicilians are, Sicilians are amphibians. Hmm. Who knows? I don't know. But anyway, regardless of that, as you say, they are intensely, intensely voracious predators. And you just, you just, you just wouldn't think about it from there harmless curious little faces um no saying that though they, if they um, were any bigger they'd take your dog yeah but they also have a kinder side which we should get into because yes, they are actually they're not true villains they're actually sweet-natured compassionate monsters and um <laughs> they so the females this is a lot of this stuff they found out through their captive investigations um the females yes. live just between five and 16 eggs uh, which they then stay with in the nest. And they actually balance the eggs on their head. It's super adorable. They just, like, keep an eye on them. There's a suggestion that they might be wiping some kind of mucus from their head onto the eggs as this kind of antimicrobial protection. But that's... Yeah, or keep, keeping them the correct humidity, something along those lines, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. So, so the females make their little nest in this in a humid, well-protected area, but shallow, like, 15 centimetres down in the leaf litter usually. Um, somewhere nice and humid, sometimes at the base of a large tree, um, you know, with roots as chamber walls. Sometimes they'll well, make a nest under fallen logs, something like that. Mostly at large trees, wasn't it? It was like upwards of 80% found at the base of large trees in the wild. Yeah, yeah they did So it say seems that. like these big native trees were quite a, uh, a key aspect of where the Sicilian, or at least where the nests they found yeah. were. Yeah, I guess they could have noticed that they've found a lot of them under those and then carried on looking under them. Who knows? But um, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got the sort of a buttress of a tree and you can have yeah. the, a hard side to your nest chamber, then that sounds like a pretty good place to do it. And um, potentially more stable soil, more stable humidity. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so the, the females look after these eggs and uh, when they hatch, they're like these underdeveloped, unpigmented little worms they are obviously not, <laughs> not worms they just look like it um and the females tend to them they look after them and uh, that's where it gets kind of weird it does um what is the proper term for this maternal 
dermatophagy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this is the young eating the skin of the mother. In what the authors describe as a frenzied bout of activity. Yeah. This is just downright bizarre. It's been known for a little while that this this is happens in Sicilians, but it's just there is if you want to see a video, because why wouldn't you? Um, Life in Cold Blood, the BBC series, has a section on Sicilians, which we'll link in the show notes, which is well worth a watch if you want to see baby Sicilians <laughs> uh, feeding. <laughs> I've also put a video up there from a different source of the same thing. Um, Excellent. Which I think is from uh, New Scientist magazine or something. Um, okay. Yeah, but regardless, yeah, there's a couple of videos of... I haven't actually watched... I've seen the Life in Cold Blood episode, um, but I haven't actually watched the video. I'll have to watch that. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah. But um, dramatic, dramatic music over the top. Ah, yes. Excellent. Good work, BBC. Um, Yeah, so... But what's weird about this maternal dermatophagy is that it doesn't just happen at random. The babies, they spend most of the time just kind of chilling out, not doing a lot, you know. They describe them as uh, quiescent, so they're just jamming, having a nice time. And all of a sudden, they all simultaneously seem to know it's time to start chowing down, eating mum's skin. just freak out. Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> just going crazy eating the skin. And then once they're full, they just they just hang out for a bit, the skin grows back. And this goes on for about three months. The female looks after them and, you know, yeah. regrows the skin. The babies eat some of the skin and then Think, regrows again. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning that this isn't just like a weird quirk of this species either. Um, there's a Wilkinson et al. 20, 2008 paper that basically they found this in both African and neotropical species which basically suggests it may be an ancestral trait and that has possibly existed in Sicilians for over 100 million years, um, basically suggesting that it's likely to be quite widespread, which, or at least widespread in the Ovi-Paris direct developing Sicilians. Yeah. Because that's the thing worth mentioning, is that Sicilians have multiple different uh, reproductive modes like like other species like other groups just to cause confusion so some will even have a larval stage um and some are viviparous but this uh the metaphagy is suggested to be widespread in the oviparous direct developing sicilians yeah I mean, as far as i can tell it's a it's a really bizarre strategy but it obviously works i mean well, yeah. yeah, I mean, talk about an investment in your young. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really weird because having having juveniles which are born to be, you know, completely hapless and useless and barely, like, not even properly formed is, you know, that's something I would associate with, like, a marsupial rather than an amphibian. I mean, obviously, amphibians have larval stages, which I guess isn't that... I mean, it, it is very different, but I mean, it's still a phase which is like markedly different from the adult. But just the fact that they're born and they're completely, or they hatch even, they're eggs and then they hatch and then they're useless and they have to eat their mother's skin and then they grow. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, what is that about? I just couldn't get my head around it. Obviously, Well, the other thing, just, in, it, just to add to the weirdness, it's the speed at which they grow. Yeah. What are they saying? A hundred and thirty percent increase in body weight in the first week. Yeah, well, they eat a bit of mummer skin. They got the mummer skin to eat on, and then they've also they spend a lot of time hanging out near the mum's cloaca, and we don't know why. Uh, it could be. Did you see the the picture of all the little faces hanging out near the? Yes. Weird, <laughs> super weird, kind of uncomfortable viewing. What are they doing down there? There's a suggestion that they're drinking some kind of milky fluid. <laughs> It's so freaking weird. <laughs> I know this delicious diet of mama skin and milky fluid. Oh, they get big, all right. They get big fast. Yeah. They get big and the mother loses a lot of weight. What yeah. is it? 7.5 to, what, 30% of the weight loss over these three months? Wow, Because, yeah. of course, she's just hanging there feeding them, not eating. So that, You see, that's a big investment, but then I wouldn't be surprised if that was about right for lots of snakes too, given obvious oh, position. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, but the additional sort of parental care really adds, to, yeah, 30% of weight is quite a lot. 
I know, yeah. But then it's just kind of like instead of providing nutrients, for example, if they were viviparous and they just got massive in there, you'd be giving them nutrients through like a rudimentary placenta type of deal. But instead, you're just letting them snack on your skin. It's not that different, really. It's just one's inside, <laughs> one's outside. Do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, yeah, there is a I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, we've seen this, like, bizarre, voracious side of Sicilians, right? They attack from underground. They eat all kinds of mad animals. They're intense predators. And they also let their babies snack on their skin, which is just weird. But they also tried something else to see whether or not Sicilians would adopt babies. So what they did was... They found yeah, this some... was a little bit odd, to be honest. I liked it. I thought, great. Like, that's the way... I thought that was a really cool idea. Like, they found a female who, who was the pale colour. They go pale when they're um, expecting babies, and throughout the baby rearing process, they're a paler colour. Yeah, well, so... well, the skin's ready to eat, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose that, perhaps that's it. And, um, yeah, so they found this female that was pale, and but she was without babies, so they thought, oh, maybe she's, you know, lost her brood or something. Anyway... Nearby, I don't know how nearby, um, but distant enough that they thought that it was a different brood. Um, they found a load of babies without a mother. And so what the authors did was that they they took them both and they put them together. And then they watched to see what happens. And um, funnily enough, the female actually adopted the babies that weren't hers. Um, but sadly, shortly after that, she tore them all to pieces and ate them. <laughs> Oh no, she didn't, did she? No, she didn't. She loved them. She took care oh, of them. Right. She had lots of compassion say. for them. And That's uh, I don't remember uh, reading a, that cruel betrayal. <laughs> and it was a no, it was a beautiful story. And I think, you know, that just proves once and for all that Sicilians are the only amphibian to feel compassion. Maybe. No. I'm not gonna say that, but still it's an amazing story. Oh, you um, said it now. That's getting. That's, I'm going to re-edit that and <laughs> boost it up, repeat it several times. <laughs> um, they also kept a lot of these Sicilians in the terrariums, which you've mentioned earlier on, and um, big communal boxes of dirt, essentially, with like you know logs and bamboo pipes and things like that for them to hide inside. And um, what the Sicilians would do was they'd create semi-permanent tunnels, and they'd often rest with their heads poking out of the end, just kind of chilling around. Um, they often found the Sicilians as well just hanging out together in like tight aggregations so all the Sicilians would just like curl up in a nice big ball together which um could have obviously been due to lack of hide availability but personally I prefer to think it's because they are friends and um yeah there's a distinct possibility that they were just friends (laughs) making the best of a bad situation that was their imprisonment (laughs) um but the authors never witnessed any antagonistic encounters between Sicilians. So they never saw any fighting or any, you know, aggression. Um, even when there were juveniles being reared in the same terrarium, they would never eat the juveniles. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're bizarrely, to their own kind, they seem to be really, really sort of, um, obviously not easygoing, but they're not, they're not antagonistic and creatures. Antagonistic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting, given how voracious they are as predators. They seem to have some kind of no voraciousness sense when it comes to Sicilians. Yeah, but you no, know, it is, it, it, you know, we are just discussing one species here, so maybe yeah, there are and some out there. There was mention of a scar, that, right? So some scarring on one of them or something. Yeah, well, that was a different. I think there are reports from different. Species species bite mark scars have been reported on schistometopum uh, ferments oh, as a result right. of antagonist interactions with conspecifics. Yeah, they have seen, and then Wilkinson went on to say that it's seen them in other other uh, other species as well. Um, and they actually saw a mark on a wild ring Sicilian too. But um, yeah, they thought it was probably because it had been attempted to predate on something else because they really do think that they are not an antagonistic species. But yeah, that certainly doesn't go yeah. for all Sicilians. There's, there's bound to be enormous variety in that. Just sort of really begs the question, how much uh, is missing on Sicilians when they're so hard to study? They're pretty widespread. They're in areas that even, you know, well-known species are 
unbelievably understudied. There's got to be a lot of diversity and wicked stuff going on with Sicilians that we just have no idea about. Yeah, that's why they're so cool, because they're just such a mystery. Such a mystery. Like, their ecology is so poorly understood. But yet, it seems like they're doing an important job out there in the in the soil, aerating it, shifting it around, yeah. leaching, stuff like that. So, yeah, probably and doing a very important role, but we just don't know about it. Yeah, sure they are. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're really important in, you know, distributing nutrients and things like that. Um, mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as a final note, uh, this paper, they discussed the merits of captive study for understanding these cryptic animals. And as we said earlier, um, in 10 years of studying wild Sicilians, they never saw a Sicilian predate another animal and they never saw any evidence of mating, um, which is just like, that's just bonkers. Any other animal, you'd think you'd get at least something in that you'd regard. Guess. Yeah, I mean, you would. Yeah, I mean... For if, you were aim- if you were aiming for it, I mean, you just would, wouldn't you? Oh, I mean- can't think of... Even just looking, like... Even snakes, you'd see that eventually. After after 10 years, you'd see it eventually. Yeah, I mean, what did it take? It took... Yeah, yeah, you know, well, for... Yeah, I mean, for pit, for green pit vipers, I mean, it, over the course of a few years of people studying them, we saw, like, a few occasions of mating. I mean, it just... You just you just do. You just encounter these things if you're looking eventually. for the animals. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for 10 years of field study, not to see either of those things in a Sicilian, I mean, that is just the best testament to their mystery that you could possibly get. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they mentioned that um, this captive study may be really important because it's really the only feasible way that you can observe their mating strategies and life history and things like that. And those things may end up being quite important to conservation attempts in the future. Yeah. I mean, I'm always you're always going to prefer to have to do uh always prefer to see the stuff in the wild but if that's just not a possibility then you got to be looking for that captive stuff i guess yeah it's just the way it's going to have to be yep plus i would love to observe sicilians it would be really fun (laughs) what are they doing (laughs) what are they thinking yeah what are they thinking they're doing some crazy stuff um just right should we move on to paper two Yes, let's move on to paper two, because the mysteries just don't stop coming. No, they don't. So we know now that they have eggs, this species. We're talking about ring Sicilians only. They lay eggs, They the babies hatch, the babies eat the mother's skin, the mothers take care of them and love them. And they're also friends with other Sicilians. Obviously, you know, <laughs> I may be anthropomorphizing a little bit there, but the overall arcing theme is that Sicilians are pretty chill and they, they have fascinating parental care and they are also voracious predators. So we know that much. But now um, we're looking at another paper on the same species. And this one is by Jared Malho Fontana, Marque, Marquez Porto, Ciani, Pimenta, Brody, and Antoniazzi from 2018. And this one is entitled Skin Gland Concentrations Adapted to Different Evolutionary Pressures in the Head and Posterior Regions of the Sicilian Siphonops Annulatus. And this one was published in Scientific Reports. Mm. So, as if they weren't strange enough already, we're talking about... Mm, what's the best way of describing this? Basically, front of the Sicilian and rear of the Sicilian doing very different things in terms of glands. Yeah, I suppose that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways, but it really does drive home the sort of amphibian weirdness of these guys. So we're talking about an amphibian that has glands all over its skin, like other amphibians, to help with gas exchange and maintain skin moisture. But also, like a lot of amphibians, they have poison glands for defence. But yeah. not uniformly. And this paper is basically detailing what's going on there. Yeah. What's yeah. the difference? Yeah. So like you say, there's two broad types. There's uh, the mucus glands and the poison glands. Mucus glands make mucus, which keeps the animal nice and moist, like you say. Uh, has hydrophilic properties. 
Um, and this is thought to help lubricate their tubes where they're crawling around. And the poison glands, like you say, produce the poison, which um, should deter predators in some way. Yeah, can make people sneeze. Yeah. So I, <laughs> <laughs> it can make people sneeze. Yeah, that actually does do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I thought that was really funny. They were just like, uh, yeah, so previous work on the ring Sicilian suggested that it can be cardiotoxic. Uh, obviously affecting the heart and then yeah these authors mentioned they have personal experience of the poison causing irritation to the nose and face so basically if you're if you're squeezing a sicilian don't touch your eyes afterwards yeah or or don't rub it on your face (laughs) yeah yeah um but yeah so i didn't realize they smell like to be fair uh well this is it ben if you're curious about what they smell like you're gonna get burnt (laughs) yeah but it might be worth it i'm sure they smell like nothing else in the world (laughs) <laughs> smell like sicilians <laughs> um yeah so in something like a toad um the paratoid glands i didn't realize this but paratoid glands are just poison glands which are really really heavily concentrated i mean it seems obvious now that i know it but yeah whereas in sicilians they're a lot more spread out um they're not they don't have these big ag- aggregations which you can actually see and see the see the stuff leaking out so it's a little bit more subtle. Yeah, I suppose that also makes them harder to uh, eat. Like some species, you can avoid the big aggregations of poison glands like your paratoids and just eat the slightly less toxic areas like what happens with toads. But these guys, I think that would be a little bit trickier. And it is worth mentioning that there is a study out there that looked at how toxic um, Sicilian toxins are. It's in a language I do not speak, so I couldn't actually read the details of it. But it's a 1940s study by uh, Sawaya, and it looks like this toxin will poison toads, frogs, rats, which is quite a feat because rats are resistant to all sorts of crazy things. They're tough. But also, it's toxic to the Sicilian itself. So that might partly explain the lack of antagonistic behaviour between Sicilians, perhaps. Hmm, that's but cool. But also poses some weird questions about how the babies are eating the skin. Yeah, and it also poses weird questions about how the babies are hanging out near the cloaca, given right. what we're about to discuss. Um. So maybe it's a situation where they can ingest it and they have a system of separating off that toxin, like... Uh, what is it, crayfish, I think, are capable of doing that, as opposed to having some sort of overall resistance to uh, toxins. They have a digestive system to try and keep it separate. So maybe it's something along those lines, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, well, this paper didn't really get into what the actual um, toxins were or kind of suggest where they came from, did it really? No. It just talked about the fact that they were there and that, you know, there was concentrations of proteins. Um, Yeah. So I would guess that that's probably still a pretty grey area. Uh, I think so. That's I was certainly getting the impression of that because I would have thought the 2018 paper would have mentioned that in some shape or form. Yeah, you. I mean, um, sure they would. Yeah, sure they would. But it was just interesting to have this interplay where it is toxic to such a diverse array of amphibians and also a rat, as well mm. as the uh, Sicilian itself. That's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, essentially what they were looking at, uh, they got a bunch of Sicilians and they took bits of their skin and they looked at them under a microscope and they were trying to understand where different glands were situated, the two gla- types of gland we talked about, the mucus glands and the poison glands, where they were found on the body and, you know, just what they were comprised of and what they were doing um, and the kind of formation. And what they found that was that on the head of the Sicilian, there's loads and loads of these mucus glands and they're arranged in this really neat honeycomb formation um, and they're extremely densely packed on the head and then as you move down towards the tail of the Sicilian, if you could call it a tail, I don't think you can, but as you move towards (laughs) the the second half of the Sicilian sausage... The anterior portion. Yeah, the anterior portion. No, posterior portion. Posterior portion. Yeah, as you move towards the posterior portion... You um you get less and less of these mucus uh, producing 
glands and you start to see more and more of the poison producing glands until you get to the far end of the Sicilian near the uh, cloaca and what you have there is an abundance of the poison producing glands um, and you know none of the glands which are producing the slippery mucus. And so um, in terms of the constituents of these two types of um, uh, liquid that come out of the Sicilian, the mucus, which is coming out near the (laughs) The head, is colourless and viscous, and it doesn't really contain much in the way of protein. There's 0.2 milligrams of protein per litre. Whereas, if you go licking a Sicilian's head, it's not going to do, it's not really a good meal. it's It's not a good meal, no. It won't, you know, it won't help you with your gains, but... (laughs) <laughs> it also it also won't poison you, which is good. So if you are going to lick a Sicilian, lick its face. Um, the other end of the Sicilian uh, is the cloaca, as I said, and it's kind of like this little hole. It's really weird. Um, the end of a Sicilian is like at the end of a pen, where the ink comes out is where the you know the feces comes out, and um, the pores surrounding this um, are the ones which produce the poison, and. This is like a milky fluid, whereas the fluid coming from the head is clear and contains about 11 milligrams of protein per litre. So um, not only has it got a lot more proteins, but it also has a much higher variety of components, which is indicative that this is some kind of poison. And um, as Ben said, it's been shown to be toxic to Sicilians, rat, frog, toad. And um, yeah, it's, it's not nice stuff. But what's really interesting about this abundance of poison on the tail is if you think about it in in the context of what the Sicilian's doing um, the head is pushing forward and it needs to be well lubricated because that's the bit which is poking into the dirt whereas the tail is the bit which is leading behind the Sicilian and obviously many predators are going to be trying to attack a Sicilian from the rear and so because it has this abundance of poison producing glands in its tail or in its back end it uses this mechanism called phragmosis which is where it actually blocks its own burrow using its tail so nothing can come in behind it um mm. and then like what wombats do do wombats do it as well i didn't know that i think so i think wombats have a they can do it they've got like a special sort of plate special butt plate to try <laughs> and block their burrows <laughs> Pretty, I'm pretty sure wombats do. That's wicked. I'm no wombat expert. I don't know much about wombats actually. I couldn't pick a wombat out of a lineup. <laughs> well, it depends what they were lined up next to. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, if it was like Sicilians, yeah. then I reckon you probably could. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so they have this double whammy where they're using phragmosis, which is just a really cool word, um, and they're doubling that down with poison that squirts out of glands in. In essentially what is their butt. Yeah. So if you're going to lick a Sicilian, uh, don't lick its head because there's no point. There's no protein. And don't lick its butt because it's poisonous and uh, you'll have a bad time. Yeah, it will most definitely poison you. But, um, so maybe aim for the middle, I guess, where you get a sort of lower toxic dose, but possibly some some protein. <laughs> <laughs> I think our initial, ad- I think your initial advice of don't lick one's probably best. Um, but yeah, talking about yeah, right. phragmosis, they mention another species in this paper, which is um, the tree frog Corythomantis greeningi, aka the greenings frog, and um, that frog actually uses its head for phragmosis. Um, did you have you seen a photo of that frog, Ben? Did you look it up when you read it in this paper? It's not the one that has tiny, like, bone spikes on its face it, so it can headbutt yeah, its enemies. It is. It is. Damn, I want to do an, I wanna do an episode just on those guys. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, we should. They're horrible looking. Literally, they look like a little goblin. Um, they've they're got, beautiful. No, they're not. They've got, like, they like a duck's beak. And so what, what am I searching to find this frog? Greening's frog. Yeah. Anyway, like you say, it has these spines under its skin, which burst out and deliver venom when it's threatened. So the venom, the venom-producing glands oh, are in the what face. What are you talking about? They're beautiful. They you, do have a duck's face. Are you kidding me? They're monstrous. They're great. No, they're lovely. Look at them. Lovely. It looks like it's been slightly <laughs> flattened by a rolling pin or something. I don't know. I don't. I think I find them quite unsettling to behold. Um, oh, greening frog, greening's frog. Yeah. I like you. <laughs> um, but anyway yeah so um, that's another example of phragmosis 
which is which is kind of cool. Um, and yeah, so in another one more thing, which I thought was cool about the Sicilians, so they've obviously got this uh, variety of different glands across the body, which are performing different functions, which is really interesting. Um, but they also they have a couple of photos of Sicilian skulls there. And you can see on their faces, they have these like really quite big indentations, like holes in the skull. And apparently mm. those are anchor holes for skin because the head is under so much pressure when it's digging. Um, the skin actually they don't want has to be... skin to come off. Yeah, yeah. Because they, <laughs> they make a living by <laughs> mashing horrible. their head into the soil over and over again. And you know, they have to be able to keep that skin attached. And then another thing, because that got me thinking about the skull... And um, they also have um, an adaptation, which is bone of their skull, which is called the squamosal bone, um, which for us is like on the side of our head, kind of like around the ear area. Um, In Sicilians, where we have our like jaw musculature just under the skin, um, so you can feel it if you poke your face. You can feel your jaw muscles under there. Sicilians actually have this bony plate over that, which is their squamosal bone, and it either partially or completely covers all that musculature. And so that's obviously an adaptation for the fact that their head is under extreme duress a lot of the time. And if those muscles were just simply held under skin, then they'd be getting damaged, which I thought was just really cool. Yeah, and I suppose it might actually constrict what they can do with their mouths if your muscle is under pressure from being in the tunnel. Yeah, that's actually... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You'd have a bunch of Sicilians with sort of jaw cramp. <laughs> just, yeah, they just wouldn't work properly. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so that's um, that's the Ring Sicilian. Uh, an incredible slimy little beast with parental care. Um, and Toxin. Toxins and, you know, friendly, harmless, slippery mucus. Yeah, absolutely insane. Yeah, they're one of my new favourite animals, I think. Specifically the ringed Sicilian, Siphonops and Yolatus. Yeah. They're a good-looking Sicilian, man. They are, they are. They're kind of bluish. I like them a lot, I think. It's a um, beautiful blue. I'd love to see one. I'd love to see one. Well, strap in for at least 10 hours worth of intense surveying. Yeah. Well, that's if you're lucky. <laughs> Maya, I mean, going... you've got to go you got to go somewhere good. <laughs> Maya, we're going and to, we're going to Brazil. <laughs> oh yeah, Min. Like, yeah, we just at least one of the days we're going to be looking in the dirt. <laughs> we're just going to be digging holes. Yeah, like looking a... for little amphibian worm beasts. Putting in a solid 10-hour shift in the hopes of seeing one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 10 hours you got decent chance, right? You'd think so, right? As long as it's the right time of year. Well, and the other thing that's worth mentioning, you know, these guys are not Sicilian amateurs, are they? These are people who know how to look for Sicilians. True. So that's 10 hours for Sicilian people. Mm. Not people from Sicily, but people who study Sicilians. Yeah, we'd be toast. Yeah, it'd be difficult, man. Yeah. You'd need to hire a Sicilian guide. You would, yeah, you would. Because, you know... From the outside, you'd think that looking for one cylindrical animal was like looking for another cylindrical animal, but actually that's not the case at all. I I wouldn't know where to start when it comes to looking for an eel. (laughs) No, I wouldn't even know what to look for. Yeah. Hardly even know what an eel is. Should we enter the hotly anticipated uh, bi-weekly species extravaganza? Yes, species of the bi-week. What do we have? We have a paper by Maddock, Wilkinson and Gower, published in 2018. A new species of small, long-snouted uh, hypogeophys from the highest elevations of the Seychelles island of... Hmm, how do you say that? It's Mahi. Mahi? Yeah. Mahi. 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 Yeah, Mahi. Okay. I watched the YouTube video on how to say Published it. in <laughs> Zootaxa. Oh, good. Good good prior research. Good yeah. Work. I might still be getting it wrong, but I tried. I'm sick of butchering words. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so we're on the, Seych- the Seychelles. Not the Seychelles. The Seychelles, um, which is an 
island chain comprising 115 islands in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Kenya. So we're off the east of Africa. And um, prior to this paper, there were seven species of Sicilian in the endemic radiation on the Seychelles. Um, those come from three genera, which are Hypogeophis, Praslinia, and Grandisonia, all of which belong to the Sicilian family Indotyphlidae. And uh, yeah, we're on Mahi, as you said, Mahi, which is the largest island of the Seychelles, and it's found in the northeast of the kind of jumble of islands. Um, it already is known to have one endemic Sicilian, which is Hypogeophis brevis, which is found on Mahi at Mahi is a is a um, is the island. Uh, elevations between 350 and 650 meters above sea level. So there's already one endemic. But, uh, but why have one when you could have two? Exactly. So they're in Mourn Gosh, they're in Mourn National Park. Oh, I've butchered that for sure. Um, yeah, big apologies for the pronunciations yeah. this episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, but um, so they, you know, they're on this mountain. Um, the mountain, which is Mourn um And they are used to finding this Hypogeophis brevis up to 650 meters but then they were searching for Sicilian Sicilians higher up um, higher than 650 meters and they were encountering some unusual ones uh, which didn't appear to be Hypogeophis brevis and um, as they later found out through the genetic analysis and morphological stuff that we'll have a little bit of a chat about um, it was a new species and they named it Hypogeophis montanus yes meaning it lives in the mountains yeah <laughs> And looking, they've got a couple of pictures here of the habitat where the type specimen was oh, found. Oh, it looks so good. Oh boy, it looks absolutely stunning. But also, how on earth did they find anything in there? They were digging. They, oh my gosh. Yeah, my my imagining is kind of like Time Team, where they just like dig a shallow got- trench, <laughs> see if there's any Sicilians in it, maybe do another one, you know, coming off it, maybe one perpendicular Get the geophysics in. Yeah, get the geophysics in. Get that dude with the beard. You know, the guy who's like really, really big dude, enthusiastic. Yeah. And then eventually, (laughs) by digging these sort of... They're not deep holes. They're only going sort of like 30, 20, 30 centimetres down into the surface of the soil, um, largely at the base of um, rock walls where it's nice and moist, where water's trickling down. It's all mossy. Um, Yeah, and they found... Was it seven of these Sicilians? I think they found... I think they found seven yeah six or seven and um <clears throat> yeah they named it as we said hypogeophis montanus uh and the common name has some nice alliteration in it they called it the montane mahi sicilian uh, but it's mm. tiny it's only 10 centimeters long the biggest one was just over 10 centimeters long so yeah there's a photo of it in the paper and um i mean it looks like an earthworm with a tiny shark's face well to be honest, this looks less shark face and more like you've made some sort of slimy shrew and yeah, stuck it on a worm. True. It's yeah. really, really odd. It's much more pointed than other Sicilian faces where you get this sort of rounded, yeah, more shark-like face. And, it, and it's got a sort of pointy little nose. It looks like the Greenland shark, if it's going to be a shark. Yeah? Yeah. But just a brown version of it. Well... Greenland sharks are pretty brown. Oh, well yeah. then it's just a land version of them then. Yeah, and slimy. But yeah, you're right. Like the the, the snout is just so long, and um, yeah, I mean it makes you wonder if that. I mean, I don't know why the snout is so long, but also the the head is so small compared to the body. The body is just big and thick. Yeah. Yeah, probably chubby. Yeah, but it's um, <laughs> how to describe it's such it? Weird proportions. It is. It's a really strange animal. Its tail is so oh. much thicker than its front third it's so fat it's like twice the the fatness yeah it's really strange but <laughs> and just to mention like it's got a new lie the rings like the um ring sicilian we were talking about earlier but they're a lot more subtle and they're a lot more closely packed together um yeah yeah it's, it's, part it almost looks millipede like the way yeah. the stripes are yeah and apparently that's a good way of um iding sicilians is the amount of um, body rings so okay. count the annuli and you can get an idea in the field of what Sicilian you're looking at. Um, but, you not, know, there's probably overlaps. Not how old it is. No, I don't think so. Each each year adds a they, segment. They're born really, really short and wide. And then they get longer and longer and longer each year, right? 
Yeah. That's why they get thinner towards the head. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the such authors, a weird animal. It's so strange. I love them though. Um, and anyway, yeah, so the authors did this uh, nice principal component analysis of the morphological features and it showed that the um, the new species Montanus was different to Brevis and uh, Thai, which is the other closely related species in the genus. And um, yeah, genetically speaking, it was distinct. Uh, slightly confusing genetic findings where there was a species from a different genus nested in amongst the ones that were from Hypogeophis, but maybe that's just the genes they used and maybe more work needs doing. I, I was a bit confused by that. But regardless, um, you know, this is a species which has been shown to be genetically and morphologically distinct. It's a brand new species and it um, seems to have a really limited range. The map in the paper is awesome. You can see... Um, you can see exactly the line where this species starts to occur um, as you get higher up the mountain. So yeah, it's really cool. Sort of like around around 700 meters, all of a sudden the, the dots turn blue instead of red and it, it's this Montanus species, which is cool. Having a an endemic species at the top of a mountain. And it's also found on a neighboring um, peak as well. It's also found on... Um, Congo Rouge, which is uh, another peak less than a kilometre away. Yeah, but the sort of downside of it being on a mountain peak is with climates shifting and things, how much space does this species have to go, right? Yes, absolutely. But uh, who knows, it might not be a climatic thing that it's liking. It might be a... could be a microhabitat thing up there. I don't know, these mountains could be could be all sorts. Yeah, yeah. But regardless of whatever it is that's making it be up there, it's up there. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's newly described and it's really cool. Little tiny. Um, Agreed. Yeah, little tiny new Sicilian. Miniaturization. And um, they mentioned in the paper that it's an exciting opportunity to potentially study miniaturization in Sicilians, which, you know, animals evolving to be teeny yes. tiny where they're f- sort of, um, what's the opposite of conspecific? Non-conspecific? Like, specific? Like, different species yeah <laughs> what are you getting at here inter um, inter specific yeah yes but anyway it's interesting to study why animals shrink why evolutionarily that's a benefit to be only 10 centimeters long so yeah lots of interesting things and obviously the ecology of this species is uh largely unknown so yeah lots of potential to learn more mm. very cool and suggesting that gene flow, wherever there is gene flow between the two species, would be neat to see as well. That was one of their closing remarks. Well, yeah, you'd, you'd wonder if there was a contact zone at around 650, 675 metres where perhaps they were meeting. Um, and you get Sicilians of medium size, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Although I don't know how big Brevis is. But yeah. Awesome. Well. Yeah, cool. So that's a brand new species of Sicilian, Hypogeophis montanus. Um, yeah, cool paper. Interesting stuff. And uh, that one from the Seychelles, which is a little bit of a departure from uh, the main body of our Sicilian research, which took place in Brazil today on the Ring Sicilian. So yeah, that's cool. Um, cool. So that pretty much wraps up our Sicilian special. It was a long time coming. But um, personally, I think we should do another one, a follow-up, as soon as possible, really. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be up for reading more about these these strange, slimy worm amphibians. Mate, I'm just about ready to give up on snakes and become Sicilian specialist now. <laughs> snakes, whatever. Yeah. Sorry. Not slimy. Oh, you like snakes? That's adorable. You obviously haven't heard of Sicilians. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, have you got any other business this week? Um, I think we have new uh, patron to thank. We do indeed. Yep. Sami Assad, thank you very much, mate. Yes, thank you. Sami Assad, aka good old boy from the north. <laughs> we... Studying stuff out in Borneo. Yes. Specifically amphibians in He's Borneo. Probably, yeah, if anyone's going to be offended by this episode, it's probably Sami because um, he likes frogs and we've just pretty much worked out that frogs are among the least interesting amphibians. <laughs> That's... Shots fired. Um, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not getting involved. Actually, I'm are there that. are there Sicilians in Borneo? Yeah, um, yeah, I would of course have there so. are. Of course there are. Man, Sammy, if you send us a photo of a Sicilian, that'd be incredible. <laughs> there you go. Ten hour mission to find a Sicilian. <laughs> At least ten hours. If anyone's seen it, it'll be Sammy though. He's doing like uh, ecological community stuff, is he not? Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, thanks, Sammy. And thanks for this photo of the spiny hill turtle. It looked absolutely livid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else we got? Um, Ah. So, yeah, got sent a video by Russell Gray on Facebook, uh, which is a movie trailer for The New Mutants, which is uh, a film based on the trailer. Looks like it might be quite scary. And um, there's a line in it where someone who appears to be a doctor is injecting a very large amount of fluid into somebody else. And they say, did you know young rattlesnakes are more dangerous because they can't control their venom, which um, is, in fact, not true has been shown by Bill Hayes to not be true. Um, well, and isn't just isn't the general idea that younger snakes aren't more dangerous just because they have lower venom yields anyway? You'd think so, right? Because regardless of the big amount deal. that they're injecting or not, yeah, I th- they I just mean, have lower yields. Yeah, I think it's still a bit of a grey area, but yeah, like, and if you have a toxin that's you know potent enough that a small amount will kill you anyway, then the adults gonna be able to inject that amount the young is going to be able to inject that amount. You should probably treat both bites with equal seriousness and uh, not really worry about which is more dangerous. And yeah. Just uh, treat them like a venomous snake bite. <laughs> For sure. But the last thing you want to do is uh, vilify a cute little baby rattlesnake. The last thing you want to do is vilify any snake. Yeah, I know. But yeah. Yeah. But still. Oh, yeah. So um, also we got a message from uh, someone called Bryce who said kleptogenesis in ambistoma is still crazy and that is absolutely the case it's still absolutely <laughs> bonkers what is that about Klept- kleptogenesis remember that episode 16 slimy salamander sociality we talked about kleptogenesis and had our minds yep. thoroughly blown yeah good stuff mate amphibians yeah they're just they hurt my brain amphibians. everything you think is true no they should have just stayed in the water they do some of them do. Some of them do. It's not all of them. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that's... I've got... The only other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I alluded last episode that I ordered um, Peter Rowan and Scott Iper's new book, which is entitled um, A Naturalist's Guide to the Dangerous Creatures of Australia. Uh, it arrived yesterday, so I've had a bit of a chance to flick through it, read through it. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's um, it's really cool. The initial paragraphs... Well, the initial few pages are an introduction to, like, how medically relevant animals are in Australia. And, um, I mean, for the for the most part, it's, you know, obviously it is, the dangerousness of wildlife in Australia is a big, you know, the public have a bit of a fascination with it. And um, it kind of serves to put numbers on all of these kinds of um, hysteric claims. But then also there's a lot of really interesting stuff about the actual breadth and diversity of different animals which have either venom or poison in Australia, um, you know, just in in the relationships between those animals, that's really interesting. And then um, there's a good bit about first aid. So if you're in Australia and you do get stung, bitten or what have you by a venomous creature, what to do. And then, um, yeah, there's just like 280 species accounts of just crazy animals, most of which I'd never heard of. It by no means leans heavily on um, reptiles at all. There's all sorts of stuff from you know, um, cone snails to sharks and everything in between. Um, even like domestic... Toads? Pardon? Toads? Toads, yeah. Or yeah, toads you, are discounted. Mate, you know the cane, toads in, the cane toads in there. Um, hey. The favourite one I've come across so far was one called the flower urchin, which is um, a sea urchin. And um, it looks kind of like a washing up sponge. Um, but it's got these like feet but then in amongst its feet that it uses to move around it's got these tiny little pincers and um yeah the the pincers they have venomous tips and they use them for defense and if you get stung by one it causes intense pain in humans lightheadedness fainting paralysis and respiratory distress and some people have also died so um yeah if you see an innocuous washing up sponge thing with adorable tiny pincers all over it don't pick it up because it will wreck you. <laughs> okay. But yeah, really cool little book. Um, it looks nice. It's got like a nice matte cover. I was really impressed with it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. But like I say, I only got it yesterday, so I only had a chance to have a flick through. Tons and tons of snakes. It's going to be a good reference for um, the variety of uh, death adders. And it also explains why Scott knows so much about death adders. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Decent. Recommend it. And it's really cheap too, so yeah. Anyway, 
Um, yeah. What else have we got to mention? Is that about it? Um, yeah, I think so. I don't think I have anything to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't. No? Cool. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's all I got. Yeah, no, that's that's it for me. Cool, well, let's wrap it up. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, herphighlights at gmail.com or facebook.com slash herphighlights or we tweet collectively at herphighlights on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's about that's about all of it. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, if we've got anything wrong about Sicilians, which is a distinct possibility because they are mysterious and um, I don't know very much about them, do get in touch and tell us where we've made our mistake yeah but if you're going to get in touch and tell us that they're not chilled don't because they i don't want to hear it (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i wouldn't i wonder if there's scope to do a like sicilian um thunderdome study and the results would just be we never saw them fight (laughs) i think we should try and limit the amount of thunderdome studies (laughs) yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. Sif no m- Oh, for goodness sake. You don't read so good.